With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Lembet Opic on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Great to have you with us here on TNT Radio, the home of free speech all over the world. Uh, Whether you're just waking up in London or you're just going home in Sydney, you're most welcome to get involved in the conversation. Just go to tntradio.live and get uh, involved in the chat. Uh, Lots of people making comments about uh, the first hour of uh, the Lembadobi show. Uh, Jethro, we were talking about uh, Penny Wong, by the way. Uh, Jethro says, Penny Wong pulls Albo's strings. She wears the pants in the Labour Party. Do you agree? Is Penny Wong essentially the hand that rocks the Labour Party cradle in Australia? Maybe you feel differently about it. And what do you think about what she's saying? Robert Hancock says uh, uh, Penny Wong is, uh, I think, the top of her nan. Not sure quite what you mean there, Robert. <laughs> uh, if you can clarify it, I'll read that again. Uh, Jamie expresses... Some surprise. I think that's fair to say, Jamie. You used rather more verdant language than that. But there we go. Uh, do keep the calls and comments coming on that. Uh, coming up in this hour, we're going to go back to the curious case of the rehabilitated British Prime Minister. Uh, we're going to be speaking to Professor Russell Deacon about what Rishi Sunak, the current Conservative Prime Minister in the United Kingdom, was thinking when he apl- employed uh, the former Prime Minister, uh, that's David Cameron, a man who resigned not just from his job but also from parliament and just stormed off after saying that he wasn't going to do exactly that thing why did rishi sunak re-employ this gentleman and put him into the foreign affairs position the very one which would be most affected uh, by the brexit results which david cameron didn't want so we've been talking to him about it also i think it's only fair that we have the uk independence party on today uh, bishop uh, k duar will be joining us he is always absolutely fantastic value clear erudite and uh with always a very personal take on what's going on uh, all of that with me uh, and also of course Gemma cooper in a moment as well fellow uh, tnt presenter uh, i just want to talk about a couple of stories which i find particularly interesting really provoked by uh, the discussion we've already had uh, we were talking about the uh, billionaire who funds extinction rebellion uh, he also now funds Sadiq Khan, that's London Mayor, uh, Climate Network. Uh, His name is uh, Christopher Hone. And I'm just telling you this, FYI, this man who's funding some of the most militant environmental campaigning catastrophists in the world also bought shares in Heathrow Airport. I don't think I need to explain why I'm mentioning that to you. Uh, of course, uh, Christopher, if you want to come on and explain why you see no contradiction in owning part of the largest airport, one of the largest airports in the world, then you're welcome to join us on the chat on TNTradio.live or go to the phone numbers. I promise whatever I'm doing in this next hour, I'll put you straight on air that's an absolute guarantee uh i might ask you as well if you think there's any hypocrisy in sadiq khan the mayor of london flying all the way to new york not not just now but recently uh with five of his buddies to talk about climate change uh so so christopher by funding some of his work are you saying that behavior is okay. So if you're the mayor of London, you can do what you want. You can fly where you want with any number of people. But if you're just a worker, 
then it's not allowed. Bit confused by that one. Hope you can clarify. Uh, and then just one other thing that came up in the first hour. I know in Australia there's been a discussion about giving the sinking islanders of Tuvalu safe passage to the uh, to the continent of Australia, which presumably won't sink. Just once again, for your information, uh, between the early 1970s and uh, the late uh, the 20 teens, Tuvalu gained just under 3% of land area. That's probably not what you would expect from the coverage of the foreign minister of Tuvalu a couple of years ago, standing up to his knees behind the podium in the water saying, we are sinking. I think you need to check the facts, foreign minister. I'm happy to send you the research. It's publicly available. Well, maybe you have a different view. If you're listening in Tuvalu and I've disrespected you or I've got the facts wrong, then you tell me. But over 70 of your 101 islands are actually bigger now than they were about 50 years ago. Just putting it out there. Uh, coming up in a moment, we've got Gemma Cooper. But do keep your calls and comments coming. Maybe you think that I'm too sceptical about the human impact on climate change. You come with the facts, I'll give you the space. Even if you haven't got the facts, I'll still give you the space. But I'll stick to the facts too. All of that which is our trademark, of course, facts and free speech, right here with me, Lambertopic, on TNT Radio. Breaking down the headlines. It's the news I trust. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, we're back with uh, my my sparring partner, but in a positive way, it's Gemma Cooper once again. Uh, Good morning again, Gemma. How's the tea? Oh, I've had my tea. Yes, very British. I've had my tea, my two cups of tea. Raring to go. I thought I'd go a little bit um, left field with the news, actually, uh, on the second hour, because obviously, you know, the news today here in the UK is is dominated by David Cameron's return. I mean, you're pretty much dedicating a whole breakfast show to it here this morning here in the UK mm. um, and the cabinet are meeting for the first time. So there'll be plenty of meat on this bone for <laughs> days to come, weeks to come, months to come mm. with this one. It's going to be a, a great story to follow. Um, but I've seen another story that's come out in the UK press today. And um, it's actually, it's quite depressing, but I think there is an agenda behind this. And I don't think it just applies to parents here in the UK. I think it applies to parents pretty much all around the world now because of the way we're going. But um, there's been a study by Cambridge University, which has just been published. And um, the, the team of researchers went to live with a semi-nomadic tribe and there's not many of those left now in the world you know an indigenous tribe in the democratic republic of congo and they wanted to study how they reared children and the findings i don't think anyone will be surprised by this but basically they went to live with this tribe because they're the closest we've got to our stone age ancestors i mean for 95 percent of our history we were hunter gatherers it's only very recently that we started to settle do agriculture and built communities where we didn't go anywhere so they thought well, we'll go and look at this tribe and see how they do it and they said that stone age parenting without a doubt is much 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 better for children than the way we raise our kids in the modern world on average kids were looked after by more than 10 different adults um, of the tribe, members of the tribe, and who all responded immediately to the baby crying. Um, they had nine hours of close physical contact with an adult, um, and the older members of the tribe rallied around any time the baby was in distress. That gave the mother time to rest, especially after giving birth, which made her more relaxed with contact with the baby. And also babies then grew into young children who had relaxed attitudes towards parenting themselves. Um, and basically they said, the ratio of caregivers to these tribal children 
was something like 200% more than any nursery, any childcare, any modern home. And they also looked at the children themselves. And it said that the, the reaction that the children had to the elders in the tribe, it said that it seems that children are, we are hardwired and evolutionary primed to receive really close physical contact from several different caregivers. And that gives us a sense of security. Um, it gives us a confidence. It gives us the ability to show up in the world. And the conclusion was that parents everywhere, really, I'd say, um, have never been under pressure in terms of lack of support as they are now. Now, I think, now you know me, Lemba, I do take a bit of an esoteric view sometimes or a lot of the time. And I know, I know that not everybody agrees with me. I, I absolutely know that. But this is TNT and this is the home of free speech. So, you know, if we spark a debate in the chat, great. If we don't, that's, that's great too. But I'll just throw my hat into the ring on this one. Um, and I think it's this is deliberate. This kind of attack, this war on the human spirit and psyche is deliberate in our modern world. And it starts, you know, I'm always saying well, it starts in the classroom. You know, you get in the classroom at the age of four and you're told to sit down, shut up and give your power away to authority. But this study shows actually pretty much starts at birth. If you're living in the in the developed world, you know, you, 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 we're hardwired to be around people. We're hardwired as little babies to be held, to be cuddled, to develop bonds. And what do we do now? We farm kids out. We farm babies out to childminders we farm yeah. babies out to to the to the to the nursery because you know we have to have two salaries to buy loads of crap that we don't need to have a two week holiday in the sun where we do have time with our children you know the, it's completely inverted but the the lack of physical contact and the lack of being able to bond with with a with a kind of tribal unit when you're being farmed out everywhere and so, can the neighbors pick the kids up can my friend pick the kids up? oh i'm going to be late from work can someone else pick the kids up it, it develops this sort of schism in the human psyche where you know you haven't got that that security in yourself and if you haven't got that security in yourself you're, you're, you're flying blind in the world because you haven't got the confidence to say no you haven't got the confidence to know who you really are so i i truly believe these these kind of things they're not just about economics it's, it's different. And I think with a lot of people talking about the awakening, which we do here on TNT, and that is a spiritual thing, I believe. I think this attitude to children, childcare, child rearing is, is a very deliberate attack on dumbing down our potential. And I know that sounds a well, bit odd and out there, but I think the study kind of backs it up. The irony is, Gemma, you choosing this particular news story from this week talks about something which affects every single human on planet Earth, because every single human on planet Earth has parents and has to be brought up and has to become an adult if they can get that far. So isn't it interesting we talk about war and we talk about discipline and we talk about lockdowns, but we almost never talk about what makes a person in the first place. Why do you think we discount because I think we do. Why do you think we discount the importance of parenting so that it hardly ever even appears on the news? That is a very, very, very good question. Uh, and I, I don't have the answer to it. I would be really interested to see what people in the chat think about that. Because when you think about parenting, you think about the mirror. I haven't got children, but I'm well aware of the, the miracle of creating a baby, create the creative process what that is when the, you know, the sperm meets the egg, that's like, it's incredible. And then having a baby, you know, I do, a lot of my friends have got children and the profound experience of giving birth and that, and that bond with your baby, how much you love your baby. And then we farm them out. We farm them out in terms of money and, and a bigger house and a bigger car or, or for a lot of parents, actually, to be fair, 
just the cost of living. Um, but we do oh. need a whole scale look, I think, at what what we are doing to ourselves and to our kids. Our TNT listeners very much agree with you, Gemma. Let me read some of the comments from the TNT uh, radio.live chat. And if you want to get involved, just go to tntradio.live and you can get involved too. And we don't censor anything. So you can literally have your view. Please try and keep it clean, but that's the only thing I'd ask. Mazzy says, uh, priceless, beautiful Gemma. I've always felt this. Uh, Holly says, uh, I'll come back to Holly because it's a different subject. Mazzy says also, from day one, it's important fundamentals. Uh, Holly says, I used to hate seeing small children being taken to nursery when I was on my way to work. It seemed so mean. Why have children if you aren't prepared to put the time in? Now, that's an interesting thing. I do have children. Uh, I got two. I can't remember not having children. And it's just so, um, it's not for everyone. I think for some people it would be a total nightmare, but it was right for me later on in life. I, I, I'm an older father. Uh, but I assume that means that's my commitment for the rest of my life. Whatever else happens in my life, I have to be there for the kids. But then, I don't know about you, Gemma, but you see people who regard children as a fashion accessory. So they put them out to a nanny, they put them to boarding school, and then when they're adults, they kind of shake hands and say, oh, how are you doing? Well, they do. In, yeah, they do. I mean, the ruling class do that. And they they do that by design. They farm the kids off as young as three and four to prep schools, to boarding schools. That's our culture. And then, of course, what happens is they're turned into good little sociopaths and let loose on the rest of the world in positions of considerable power. That's deliberate. I think everybody knows that that is deliberate, because if you have an ounce of compassion or empathy, I know you're a former politician, but you weren't a world leader. To be a world leader, you do not have compassion and empathy because you wouldn't be able to even begin to think of starting a war. You couldn't. You know, normal people don't do that kind of thing. You know, they they farm them off, they breed these psychos, and that's deliberate. But I worry, reading this survey, are we doing that to the, the, this generation of, of infants and children? Are we breeding psychos? Because one of the things of narcissism, I've done quite a lot of research on narcissism, lack of maternal um, contact, lack of maternal love means there's a certain part of your brain that doesn't develop properly. That's proven. That's a scientific fact. Lack of maternal love means you're very likely to go down the narcissistic route. Are we just breeding a planet of narcissists with the way we bring our children up? I would argue there is a, a case for that. And this study by Cambridge University is backing it up. Absolutely. They, 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 they come out with some very depressing conclusions. And you're right. It's global. It's global. It affects everybody. And maybe you have indeed explained why British politics is in the mess that it's in. <laughs> uh, I suspect our next guest, uh, Professor Russell Deacon, will not be blaming parenting for the or, or ascribing parenting for Rishi Sunak's decision, but you could well be right. Always fascinated to speak with you, Gemma. Uh, a lot of uh, comments, just a couple more before we uh, move on. Um, once again, Holly says, um, sorry, Mazzy says, I hated nursery, subconscious, I suppose, never settled, carried on as I went through schooling. And Holly says, like Gemma, I don't have my own children, but I understand the need to be there for them all the time when they are growing up. And I just add one more thing. It's not about the relationship between the mother and the father. It's the relationship between the parents and the children. Uh, I'm sure we'll come back to this. In fact, I'd 
really like to, to explore this again uh, when we get the chance. Thanks, uh, Gemma. Tell me what you think. A lot of you have got a lot of views on this one. Go to tntradio.livechat and add your views. Do you think that we've messed up our world by messing up parenting? Do you think we can learn something from this uh, this current story about a whole community raising children? Let me know. And is this the explanation for Rishi Sunak's decision to re-employ David Cameron? We're going to find out after the break. I'm Len Tobik. This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Katie Hopkins. Regardless of your own personal opinion, I find the moral clarity of what he says here to be both refreshing and having sat recently with Jewish friends just back in from Israel, someone standing and saying this, I think is precisely the kind of language people are looking for. I want to make clear Israel's position regarding the ceasefire. Just as the United States would not agree to a ceasefire after the bombing of Pearl Harbor or after the terrorist attack of 9-11, Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism. There is a time for peace and there is a time for for war and Israel will stand. And uh, clearly I've received uh, and I will receive and I will continue to uh, receive a criticism for being a major supporter of Israel and people's right to have one nation state when Arab countries have 22 or 23, depending on which way you divide them. But I think clarity is needed. Katie Hopkins on TNT Radio. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform, that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans. That's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. If you're still wearing a cloth or surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Greetings, one and all. It's uh, 22 minutes past seven in the morning all over the UK. Uh, between 9 and 11 hours later uh, in Australia. Wherever you are, all points in between, welcome to TNT Radio. I'm Len Topic, and this is the home of free speech. Whatever your views, they're most welcome. Lots of chat and quite moving commentary about parenting, thanks to Gemma Cooper, my colleague's uh, observations uh, about the fact that maybe we're getting parenting wrong. Maybe that explains a lot of the problems we've got and conflicts we've got in our lives. Keep your calls and comments coming. A little bit later on, uh, we're going to be exposing you to some germ warfare in the form of Jeremy Nell, uh, another fellow uh, TNT presenter, who's going to be explaining some curious developments in uh, South Africa. And we've got uh, Bishop Duar from UKIP to tell us what he thinks about the reintroduction of a former pro-Remain EU Prime Minister who presided over a lost referendum. But now let's speak to an academic, is Professor Russell Deacon, on the same subject. Uh, Professor, thanks very much for joining us on TNT Radio. Morning. Uh, let's start with your view on, you're, you're a professor of uh, governance policy and history, so you're uh, pretty well-versed in the, the world of politics. First of all, is there a precedent for a current prime minister to re-employ a former prime minister in a senior role? Yeah, there's there's two 
a historical ones. One was going back about a century ago when Arthur Balfour, the Conservative Prime Minister, came back during the First World War coalition. And the other one was in the 1970s with Edward Heath and with Sir Alex Douglas Hume, who'd been the Prime Minister uh, at the start of the 1960s. So there, there are two before that. Um, for a long while, they used to insist that they actually had a parliamentary seat. So they they put them in the cabinet and then they'd have to stand for a by-election somewhere and then they'd get in like that. The problem was, as you know from by-elections, is you cannot guarantee in any way that the, the government will win those. So that's too problematic for them now. So that's why David Cameron's got a peerage, because he couldn't get a friendly MP to just give up their seat and be assured no matter where in the UK that you'd actually get him back in. That's because of the parlous state of the the poll ratings for the Conservatives, I presume, Russell. Yeah, it, it not not just for this government. That's also happened with previous ones because the government, you know, like a, a century ago, they were pretty certain that they'll win their seats. Um, now, any government for by-elections has a tendency to lose them, especially in the later periods of the government. Uh, so that's why uh, David Cameron has been through stealth, it almost seems, given a peerage. Uh, just Can I just understand, what exactly have they done? I thought getting a peerage was quite a complicated process, but it looks like Rishi just signed a form and he got one. Yeah, it does. Um, they, they have the power to appoint quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, and normally it goes through an appointments committee and board, but I'll, I... I don't know with the House of Lords how that's been pushed through so quickly, but there is probably some sort of procedure which they can do. Um, and this is, you know, it's within a Lord within 24 hours. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know the, the exact procedures to do that, but clearly they've obviously got it. Uh, it's it gives interesting. Me hope. Yeah. It gives me hope. <laughs> they might call. They might call. But it's interesting because Nadine Doris, which was the one you know, that caused some of the issues with the uh, by-election there, etc. When she went, her name was moped as for the House of Lords. There was all that interesting procedure about that and clearing and whether she could get it and rejection, etc. like that, which took months. So obviously you can do it quite quickly if you want. So in terms of Rishi Sunak's decision, many regard it as quite risky. Why has he done it? What's your take? My my take or understanding on how this is done is that it's been calculated, it's been run through focus groups, it's been run through polling. They're probably asking questions, you know, to the extent of um, what sort of Conservative government did you like? Would you vote for? They're coming out with David Cameron, government of the coalition government, and therefore they're thinking, well, let's bring David Cameron back into the government and let's get some of those voters that voted before back in because normally politics is run on the middle ground within politics they have a theory of the medium voter where most voters are around that so so it's it's been done for those reasons they've they've looked at it they've analyzed it they've seen it might give them a three four five percent poll boost um and and that's why they brought him back in a former MP I know, uh, who was there when I was uh, in British Parliament, said it's like having two prime ministers. And that's risky for Rishi because of the two of them, Cameron could look the more accomplished, not least because he looks like an elder statesman. Isn't that a risk for Rishi? I, 
I don't think, you know, David Cameron will have those ambitions, unlike Boris Johnson, of coming back in there. I think he's probably thinking of his own political legacy as well. Foreign Secretary is very prominent post. It's also removed from domestic issues. So he won't be then um, commenting on those to any extent or building up an agenda like that. He's one step removed from that. But he's also at the same time, he has got that role of elder statesman and he has got one of one of those have been a popular with the um, anti-Brexit conservatives, but maybe the more centrist ones that were, you know, leading prior to Brexit. Well, that brings me on to my next question, which we'll be exploring with uh, UKIP in uh, a short while, Russell. For the Brexit community, perhaps if you like the Bravermans, Suella Braverman community, that she's a foreign uh, secretary who's just been deposed, um, this will be a red rag to a bull because David Cameron was the man who presided over the Remain campaign during the Brexit vote, and he lost isn't there a risk of a split in the Tory party in a public one at that? Well, they, they have got the general election looking at them um, and they always know and they're well aware that a house divided uh, does not stand. So the thought the thought for them for major splits when they're coming up to this precipice of a general election, I think will be in their minds. I don't I think they're going to want to back whoever's there at least until the general election, because in order to, you know, save as many seats as they can. In, in which case, I, I know that you're not involved in any kind of party politics, so I mean this in a purely cephalogical, in other words, uh, a political astuteness context. Has Rishi Sunak, in your opinion, made the right decision in terms of securing his party's future? I think that, again, this has been done, I I believe, you know, scientifically, politically, they've mm. weighed a number of options about what they should do for this last kind of major reshuffle. They've probably focus grouped this, this again. They've opinion polled this again. And that's the way that he's gone. So it's not mm. kind of like a shoot from the hips reaction. I would assume that they've looked at this and this is the their best chance scenario of increasing their votes before next year. Uh, and, and, and finally, this is a question I'll ask you each time you're on, Russell. How are the polls uh, faring up? Is there any shift back towards the Conservatives or are Labour rock no, solid? There isn't, but the, the, they'll be looking for some reaction over the next couple of polls that are coming out because that that will be the proof. So if that makes no difference or doesn't dent, then I think that they'll they'll have even more anxieties than they've got at the moment. Uh, he's throwing everything at it at the moment. Uh, do you, I'm told that October next year is the most likely date for the British general election. Uh, they can go as far as January. What do you think? Um, they tend to want to go for uh, earlier ones where it's a bit lighter because you know you you the door knocking and that sort of stuff. Nobody likes that, okay. and that the canvases don't etc. So it's difficult to actually get. The public so the lighter nights before the clocks change will probably be what they want to do well, thanks very much indeed that's uh, professor russell deacon love to hear your views as well go to tntradio.live a few comments coming in here uh uh it's uh mogden saying a distraction while 
Fishy Rishi does away with any kind of protest. Uh, Holly says, Cameron is not a statesman. He's going to open the floodgates. Instead of controlling the borders, it will be a free-for-all. Keep your calls and comments coming. Uh, coming up next, we're going to go to another continent, South Africa, and find out what's going on in the world of farming, regulations, and the ruling ANC. All of that with me, Lemba Turpik, here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio News. Get the news. <laughs> news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. California's governor has come under fire after admitting the streets of San Francisco were only cleaned up to impress world leaders attending this week's APEC summit. US forces in Syria have come under attack another four times in the past 24 hours and the Secret Service has released photos of the bag of cocaine that was found inside the White House four months after the shock discovery. We wear the PPE and wade through the muck so you don't have to. Never miss our thought-provoking take on the latest news and current affairs. Take TNT Radio wherever you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's News Talk. This is TNT Radio. Let me open with you for the next half hour. Thanks for joining me here on TNT Radio. A couple of comments coming in, which I want to share. Uh, Holly again says, Cameron is just another globalist and an EU apologist. Uh, What nest von der Leyen in the cabinet? Yes, I can see the allusion to the senior woman in the European Union there. Uh, I just want to go back to what Elena says. We were talking about parenting earlier. Uh, Elena says, I won't read all of it, uh, but I absolutely agree with uh, Gemma Cooper. And I've always tried to advocate for the same values of closeness and uh, affection of a, I'm sorry, abolition of a cruel system of control, crying, promoted to young mothers by the maternally uh, by the maternal uh, nurses in the government system, uh, which uh, requires you to ignore your child's crying for up to 10 minutes so as to teach them to become independent. Uh, there's a lot more there in what Elena says. Do have a look yourself. I think that the parental debate shows that it's something we don't talk enough about, and it's very important. Coming up next, let's talk about what's happening in South Africa with my fellow TNT presenter, Jeremy Nell. Jeremy, thanks for joining me on a TNT show. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you for for having me. Well, it's always a pleasure because you've got a rather curious story about yet another uh, African National Congress policy, this time relating to farming and exports. Is that right? Yes. So, look, there's a lot of confusion uh, at the moment around this uh, uh, legislation that's been gazetted, but uh, we are trying to figure out what it actually means it was very sneakily snuck in by the ANC, uh, which was picked up by a number of uh, of uh, of uh, South Africans and um, big groups like AfriForum, etc. But what it basically seems to be suggesting, and as I said, this needs clarity, but South African farmers who are white have to uh, have over 50% black ownership in order to export to Britain and the EU. Um, and generally speaking, that, that amount of money uh, that they have to be uh, exporting must exceed 500 million uh, euros. Um, anybody who uh, makes, I think, less than, shall we say, 1 million euros is exempt, but no farmer who, 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 who turns over that little, um, you know, exports. So it's targeting the mega farmers, as it were, the big farmers, but it's obviously very racist. 
the big question I've got here is why does the ruling party think that entrepreneurs will be giving willing to give away over half of their business to third parties and still show the initiative that they do? It would appear to me that it's uh, it falls under what the ANC refers to as uh, transformation. So in other words, they, what they want to do is they want to uh, take away the monopoly of, of white farmers in South Africa. And what people must understand is South Africa's history plays a big role here. It's not as though suddenly white people, you know, have the majority of farming land. It, it goes all the way back to the Dutch settlements of these, you know, late 1600s uh, from the from from the Boers fighting the British and so on and so forth. And so the word Boer, for example, is Afrikaans or Dutch uh, for farmer. They were literally farmers. They were farming the land and trying to build a new society here. They fought with the British and they fought with the Bantu tribes at the time. Um, and the Bantu tribes, most of which were not uh, sort of that uh, they weren't cemented farmers as it were they were more nomadic in their in their style now we're sitting with a situation that's been heavily politicized where the ANC is saying well uh, we are going to take away uh, farmland that belongs to white people and uh, we're going to give it over to to black people but now the problem is, is that most black people in South Africa don't know how to farm. It's not an inherent thing. You can learn to farm, of course, but most farming in South Africa gets passed on through the generations. All right. You're kind of born a farmer, as it were. Uh, and studying as an occupation is sort of separate, but it can be done. Now, a way to deal with, with that is to say, well, you have to have 50% ownership uh, that's black. So that is a way for the ANC to to very gradually and sneak in uh, black ownership of farms and basically taking over uh, white farms, which of course is, you know, that's it's going to cause economic mayhem. This, uh, I know people in Cape Town, and this policy isn't really new though, is it, Jeremy? Because it's already being applied in other aspects of the South African economy. It's not new. Uh, it's been going on for for years and years and years. But this is what the what you would see as as um, gradual creep. Um, it's it's slight adjustments the whole time. You know, it's that frog in the in the um, in the burn, in the boiling pot. You know, just gr gently increasing the um, the temperature the whole time. This, for example, um, is a new gazetted legislation, and it's going to be challenged constitutionally without a doubt. Um, but this is an example, this is indicative of what the ANC uh, is doing. It's trying to find different ways, I think, to to win votes because there's an election next year um, and and it wants to show that, you know, it's, it's going to sideline the white farmers. And let's keep in mind that the overwhelming majority of farmers in South Africa are white. And as I said, because of historical reasons, um, over 90% of all farm, farmers in South Africa are white. This was the same thing in Zimbabwe. But the, the ZANU-PF regime was extremely aggressive, as we know, in the early 2000s. And look what happened. They completely and utterly obliterated the economy by getting rid of the white farmers. Now they're inviting white farmers back gradually, but it's too late. You know, um, There's a whole new paradigm that's, that, that's being created there. In South Africa, the, the, the farming associations will not allow 
that type of destruction to occur. So they are finding ways to challenge this. But it, again, it's just unbelievable um, how this is accepted. You know, the, you go, well, mm. you can't export unless you uh, have black people who own your farm. Mm. I mean, it's just, it's just so absurd and so crude. In your judgment, uh, how important is the white vote uh, for those who don't live in South Africa versus the black vote in a general election there? Um, hmm, that's a good question. Uh, look, I think in South Africa, there are about 5 million white people. Uh, so it's, it's a huge minority in terms of an overall population of around 60 million. Uh, so the white vote is not actually all that important in the long run. But again, it's funny that we're talking like this because it sounds exceptionally crass. But <laughs> I think what a lot of people also forget is that the black vote is often aligned with the white vote, so to speak. Um, I mean, black people are not stupid. What, what you're seeing here is fringe, fringe politics. Mm. Um, you know, this is this is not the this is not I think the norm. I, I think most black South Africans will agree that destroying farms is a terrible idea. Uh, and they will agree that, um, you know, being able to buy food is way more important than uh, than to simply changing the ownership. Um, because we all know, and black people, black South Africans included, that what happened in Zimbabwe is something that we do not want to mirror. So I think that it's difficult to predict, but I think that the ANC are they're going to get their lowest um, result ever, right, in this next election, mm -hmm. probably below 50%. And that's going to be devastating for the ANC. And they're trying everything in their power now to try and win black votes. And and this, this in my view, is, is it's that cat in the corner that's just lashing out. Um, majority of black people, I think, will vote in a more moderate way. Eat, drink, and be merry. Turns out the media was totally wrong about climate change and food production. From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. Food crops are booming despite the alleged climate emergency. The United States sees the biggest corn harvest ever. Bloomberg News reported so much for the summer of drought and extreme heat. Quote, this year's corn harvest was the biggest ever. Farmers now have corn coming out of their ears. But that's not all. Global yields of rice, wheat, and corn have surged by a whopping 50% in the last 30 years as carbon dioxide has risen. Planet Earth is truly greening. As deserts shrink, even NASA has acknowledged the greening of planet Earth. The lesson here? The only thing we have to fear is not climate change, but climate policy. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third generation race car driver. And we dedicate a lot of our time to going as fast as possible. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently, experiencing problems with their memory, or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services, make a plan for the future, and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. This is the Limbit Opic Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
about a quarter of an hour to go with me, uh, Lembert Opic here on TNT. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me. Do join the chat. I have to tell you, uh, there's a great deal of interest in our talk about parenting earlier on. Uh, if you want to get involved in that, then please do uh, get uh, add your add your commentary. Uh, I am still with Jeremy Nell, a fellow presenter here. A couple of comments here, and then uh, want to ask him just one other question about the political situation in South Africa. Holly says it's a slow chipping away of farming all over. They want to destroy and control food production. Had a good chat with. The local farmer at the weekend, DEFRA, in the UK is destroying farms and food production with more and more red tape and fines than handouts to change what they are doing, like rewilding. Grr, it's crippling people. Um, Jeremy, uh, is there a certain degree of virtue signalling going on in the policy which requires farmers to give more than 50% of their uh, of their businesses away? <laughs> yes, obviously. Uh, this is This is complete virtue signaling this is trying <laughs> this is the anc trying to to say look uh we are going to transform this country we are going to uh, remove the colonial history um, of south africa the reality is that it can't happen right you can't you can't put people uh into farming who don't know how to farm all right it just doesn't work like that and i need to emphasize that south african farming is large scale I was just recently in um, the Netherlands uh, and uh, I went into the, into the farming areas. Their farming is unbelievably small. Um, it's intensive, but small. And I know that their farmers are under attack too. So it's very important to understand that this is, I think, becoming um, a global agenda to go after the source of, of, of food. But coming back to South Africa, our farming is very, very large scale. So what happens now is that politically, it's not just a case of white farmers, but it's also a case of the size of the land. You'll often see in uh, South African discourse that it's about uh, giving mm -hmm. back the land. The reality, though, is that uh, the the government owns a substantial portion of South African land. Uh, what's it doing with it? Well, we know that from uh, the the land uh, redistribution programs that the, that the ANC did a number of years ago, where they gave they 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 offered. All right, they, 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 they negotiated deals with farmers where they chopped off portions of farming lands that were not being used to give back to local communities and, and, and black farmers, etc. Well, what happened? They overwhelmingly chose to take financial remuneration instead of the physical land. So the farmers ended up with, uh, with, with smaller farms, the government ended up with more land, and the, the people, the black South Africans who supposedly wanted that land took money instead um and 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 that was a complete failure and it hasn't they haven't gone back to that program because it shows that farming is very 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 specific and it requires a certain set of skills but not just that it's also extremely dangerous in south africa to be a farmer all right is unbelievably um insecure you have no idea if you're going to live to a ripe old age. I mean, to be a farmer in South Africa as an occupation, it's four times more dangerous than any other job and about two or three times more dangerous than being a police officer. You are very likely to be attacked on your farm. Another thing that people forget is that most farm workers in South Africa are black. The overwhelming majority of, of um, uh, staff on South African farms um, is black. And I might add that most of the time, the farm workers do not want their farms taken away either. They, for them, it's personal. They will also defend the farmers and defend the farm. Thank you so much. Great to see you. That's Jeremy Nell, a fellow TNT presenter. 
What do you make of this? Perhaps you have uh, lived in South Africa. Uh, what do you think about the forced uh, selling off of at least half of these businesses? Let me know at tntradio.live. Uh, just a couple of comments coming here. The local council by me are currently trying to force a working farm just up the road uh, from me to install solar panels on their fields. There has been an ongoing petition to oppose it. Thank you for that, Louise. And just one more uh, from Grumpy Old Woman. In 2022, the UK government ran a scheme to pay farmers to give up farming, whilst at the same time shouting about the war in Ukraine and how that was going to affect food availability around the world. Complete hypocrites. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, in a moment, uh, here on TNT Radio, we're going to return to the big story in the United Kingdom, uh, the change in Foreign Minister from Suella Braverman uh, to David Cameron. But I just want to remind you of something else which is coming up. Uh, the inaugural Conference of Australians for Science and Freedom that brings together thinkers, community leaders, uh, lots of people to share learning, to formulate plans and to help establish new and emerging networks uh, and organisations for that matter to, to try and restore a thriving Australian society, uh, one that's based on science and freedom. You can get involved in that. There'll be health professionals, scientists, economists, lawyers, journalists, community leaders, pretty much anybody with an interest in that agenda. Uh, and uh, they're going to be discussing just about everything under the sun, healthcare, uh, democracy, human rights, education, the media, uh, and the role of grassroots campaigning. If you want to go to the Australians for Science and Freedom Conference, it's going to happen on the 18th and 19th of November. That's uh, the uh, 18th and 19th of November this coming weekend. Uh, and that's going to be at the University of New South Wales, High Street, Kensington, New South Wales. Uh, TNT and Radio will, of course, be there. We think this is great. And I would be there too if I was a little bit closer. If you want to get tickets dead easy, go to scienceandfreedom.org, scienceandfreedom.org, and you can get tickets there. Uh, that's all uh, for you uh, to start trying to develop the narrative for Australia. Let's move on to the story that's been making the headlines in the UK and knocking just about everything else out of the news. Uh, the news that Rishi Sunak has uh, been appointed, so been appointing uh, a former uh, prime minister. That's David Cameron into the role of Foreign Secretary after having shoving, shoved out uh, Suella Braverman for being naughty and not listening to the instructions. Is this good news? This is the Prime Minister who campaigned for Remain, but actually lost. Who said he wouldn't leave Parliament if he lost, but actually did. And now he's back. Joining us now is somebody who has at least a passing interest in the independence of the UK. It's Bishop uh, K. Dewar, who is uh, a long-standing uh, Pentecostal leader in the church, but also uh, an advocate for the UK Independence Party. Good morning, uh, uh, Bishop. Thanks for joining us. Well, a very good morning to you. Uh, is it the funeral of Great Britain that you donned a black tie this morning? <laughs> I, I'm not I'm sure. Not, I, I put on my, not I sure put on my hunting that. tie. <laughs> I, I, I've well, decided that what, once we're done here, I'm I'm putting on the shooting tweeds, and I'm heading to Westminster. I'm I'm going to try and bag myself that uh, that rarest of vermin that is the bird. I, you've probably seen it, the lesser spotted great tit, because there seems to be a few of them hanging around Westminster lately. <laughs> I'm guessing you're not overly pleased with the return of David Cameron. Uh, what a ridiculous state of affairs that we have in British politics. The only thing I could possibly say about it all is that they have, uh, they're determined to give Sir Keir Starmer the keys to number 10 Downing Street. 
And I guess they're setting up for Nigel Farage to join the Conservative Party and hopefully become Prime Minister in about five years' time, because nothing else... I mean, this is the kind of stuff you wouldn't dream of writing in comic books or fiction stories. <laughs> um, let's look at the, the, the facts here, then. David Cameron, Prime Minister, votes for Remain, loses, says he won't leave, leaves, now comes back in the one position which was most affected by his own failure according to his own policy position. Why has he been given foreign affairs of all positions, given the fact that not just you, but the Brexiteers and the Conservative Party won't like it either? Well, uh, to be honest, Lembert, I'm absolutely stunned by the move. I, I don't know what's gone through Rishi Sunak's mind to think that bringing Cameron back as, I mean, let's start with the obvious. Firstly, he's a lord, so he cannot answer questions in the House of Parliament. So, they, you know, whatever foreign issues come up now, he cannot be directly addressed. Every question has to be presented in the House of Lords or in writing or through one of the cabinet, uh, you know, through one of the ministers rather than the actual cabinet representative. There's my first problem. Why on earth would you do something like that? Second thing I have is imagine what this weekend must have been like around the Armistice Day celebrations. Because you've got a prime minister walking out that already knows, I'm just waiting to see how this whole weekend pans out because I'm going to get rid of Braverman. So he comes out. Then you've got a former prime minister in procession behind him who at that point, it's blatantly obvious, already knows I'm the next foreign secretary. We're just waiting for the time is right. Then you have George Cleverly and Suella Braverman come out, home secretary, foreign secretary. The man that does is going to be moved to a job he doesn't want from a job he does want. And the woman that's probably completely unaware of what's happening and waiting to find out what her fate is, but having not been sacked by that point, probably probably thinks she's secure. And then after all of that's done, they all got to then go and have tea with the king. That must have been quite some escapade. It, it just goes to show you the absolute shambles that is now British politics. And the only thing I could possibly think that would make this any worse is let's bring Gordon Brown back as the Chancellor of the Exchequer. I know Tony Blair's too busy because he's once again trying to be a Middle East peace envoy because it probably needs a few million quid in his bank account. You know, he's probably running short the last couple of years. <laughs> you, I've certainly come to one of your sermons at some point. I may not be saved, but I will be entertained. Uh, <laughs> let, 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 let me ask you this then. What do you think? We had uh, Professor Russell Deacon on earlier who said he guessed it was internal polling data, which might give them four or five percent in, in the polls. That's what he thinks. Why do you think Rishi Sunak has done this? I think he's desperately trying to find a way to cling on to number 10. It's that to me is the only thing that they possibly could do. And the simple fact of the matter is he has complete whoever is advising him, whoever is spads are with the, the team around him, they have completely misread the tone of the British public who, uh, you know, the, the, the majority of the public in the UK that fall on what they now call the right wing extreme side of it. They they back Suella Braverman. I've seen you know everyday members of the public backing Suella Braverman as saying this is the first Tory we've seen mm. since Thatcher to actually have a spine strong enough to stand up and make a stand and and say what the British public are thinking. I, I think it's a I think it's purely the politics of politics of trying to guarantee that we're going to win in, in the election. I don't think that that at the moment Labour is secure in an outright majority, even with all of the polling data. At best, I think we're, we're heading for a hung parliament. And if they're doing that because of Cameron's 
experience with forming a coalition government. They probably bring him in, bringing him in to prepare them for something along those lines. But I think they've completely misread the public mood. I think it's going to backfire horrendously for them. That, that's what happened in the Euro football competition in the final when it came to penalties. And they kept some people to almost the very end to win penalties. And he missed. <laughs> it's exactly. happen again. Well, uh, th- this, um, this, this goes beyond penalties. This is one of the biggest own goals the Tories have put in the net for quite some years. <laughs> in your judgment, then, uh, we haven't really talked much about Suella Braverman because the Cameron story has almost dwarfed the reason there is a Cameron story. But there are a number of Brexiteers, and I took some soundings yesterday, uh, who said, well, Braverman begins to isolate herself away from a sinking ship, and this could be a leadership uh, bid. Do you think that's feasible? I I think there's scope for it. I think there's the the potential for it. She she has to me, is a credible alternative as a leader of the Conservative Party. I don't think she's isolating herself. She actually just said what was happening. And and uh, as much as, you know, Sir Mark Rowley put out that there's not a two-tier policing system and all of that lot, you only have to troll social media from the weekend. And you can blatantly obviously see there is a two-tier policing situation taking place. I, somebody sent me a video last night about, well, you know, look, the police are too afraid to do anything. And I text them back and said, the police aren't too afraid to do anything. These are Welsh police on the streets of the capital. They are out of their jurisdiction. They are out of their constabulary. They're probably worrying if we go heavy handed or or do to, we're facing disciplinary actions or worse. The problem is we've had consecutive home secretaries and, and I've met Theresa May. She's a lovely woman, but she was an absolute blight on the home office and what she did to the police force. You know, they bring in all manner of policies that you've got to go to university and have a degree to be a police officer, all of these things. The problem with that is now when you get these lefty, wokeist liberals and their indoctrination centers called universities, half the police on the force in London went to the same universities half these lefty liberals went to. They share the same moral values, so they're never going to turn on their own. What we need is a Home Secretary that did what Braverman did. Stand up and say, enough is enough. No more two-tier policing. You watch how the police turned on the, what they call them, right-wing extremists over the weekend. But it's perfectly all right for people under the guise of pro-Palestinian rallies to be screaming for jihad, screaming anti-Semitism, screaming for the eradication of the Jewish people, as they always say, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. The only way that happens is the absolute annihilation of, of the Jewish people. But that's perfectly acceptable. And when, the uh, you know, there was an incident in, in the train station, one of the train stations in London, a whole gang of pro-Palestinian guys set on a man and woman, and the police give grief to the man and the woman for wearing a poppy. What on earth is becoming of this country? And it's we have a politicized police force. It's no good saying it because it's blatantly obvious that we do. And she just called their bluff. She said the truth. She said what the public knew was happening and wanted somebody to say. And if she Uh, does run to become the leader of the Conservative Party, if I was still a Tory, which I wouldn't be anymore, um, I left a long time ago, I will never rejoin. But if I was a Tory, she would definitely have my vote because I want a prime minister that has, as I politely put it, testicular fortitude. 
<laughs> very much you're just warming up uh, Holly agrees that's an interesting theory she says about Bradman but she's just another puppet playing a role they all need to go V for Vendetta all the way I say Bishop Duar for Prime Minister thank you Bishop thank you everybody who's been involved in the show thanks to the studio as well always great to work with you I'll be back tomorrow morning as usual 0600 Greenwich Mean Time and uh, we'll be covering views and news and your opinions all of that here with me Lembitopic at the home of free speech all over the world TNT Radio TNT Radio